Hello again, gentlemen. Welcome to the first day of Thatch's Thatch Can Style Wrestling. There's a lot of glare coming off that dome of yours. Squirrel nut! What does WrestleMania mean to Brock Lesnar? It's a day that I get to show up, kick somebody's ass, and get paid to do so. Crying out loud, he can't use a thing with you swearing like that. I don't give a damn. I came up here for a purpose to prove some son of a bitch and thing. And I'll tell you what I came to prove, that Lawler didn't have the guts. I'm back. And I'm back for you. I'm not gonna lie. I'm back for me, too. Hey there, folks. Welcome to We Don't Know Wrestling, episode 110. I'm your host, Sam DiMaggio, and we are going to break down what I've been watching, some news that speaks to me, um, tweet of the week, and our topic this week. We're going to be talking about tournaments in wrestling. Uh, kind of just to hop in things, this weekend... I went to the Creator Clash. It was an influencer boxing event in Tampa. It was attended by 10,000 people at Yingling Center. It was one of the weirdest events I've ever been to in my entire life. The event itself, not entirely strange. It was... Creators of a certain ilk getting into the ring and fighting each other. All of the correct weight classes, and for the most part. Um, but one of those like energetic crowds I've ever been a part of. It was like three uh, straight hours of folks being into literally every single thing that was being done. Sure, there were chants that were kind of off the beaten path, weren't kind of appreciating what was going on in the ring. But everyone stayed barely engaged throughout the night. It, in some respects, kind of reminded me of All Out, um, an event where sort of it felt very startup-y, felt very like the start of something. Um, now, there have been other YouTuber boxing events in the past. So it's not super original, so but creators like this that aren't your... Paul brothers are your KSIs that are of a different milieu, as it were, don't usually get in the ring, don't usually kind of have this energy because in the event leading up to it, like one of the stated goals was not to have any super confrontational interviews or anything like that. They weren't just threatening to beat each other's asses or anything like that. It was simply, hey, I'm going to step in the ring with this person that I think creates great stuff. I'm going to try to win, but I'm excited just to see what I've got. It was more of a, a, a individual test, it seemed like. It's like someone running a, a 5K or a marathon. It's less about the competition of beating someone. It's more about that competition with yourself to kind of prove you can do this which I thought was really interesting. And in the end, it was just a rocking event that felt really energizing. 
I wasn't truly invested in a lot of the fights or the creators involved, but it is not going to be a night I'm soon to forget and kind of just makes me thankful that I'm a fan of something like wrestling where these sorts of environments, these sorts of this sort of energy can be replicated to some degree. And I'm honestly fairly certain that something like the New Japan versus AEW show, I guess not versus the New Japan AEW joint show is going to have a similar energy. Maybe not to this the scale, uh, just because I think this one was really particularly energetic throughout, but of something similar. So even if I'm not a fan of whatever that show ends up being, maybe a little too preemptive there, so apologize. I appreciate that this is going to be something that, oh, this is going to feel good for anyone that attends, and you're probably going to feel that coming off the TV screen. So excited for that. That's for sure. So let's start off with what I've been watching. So I watched episode one of Uncharted Territories, and I'm really excited to see what kind of season goes for with season four no longer being essentially a beyond wrestling show um, or an IWTV Northeast show. It's now a IWTV Southeast show, a action wrestling type weekly show. Well, you can tell that the um, AC Mac will be a huge focus of that, which I don't think is a problem. I wish we got a little bit more of a mix up there, but we'll we'll see how this all all, all goes. But I want to kind of call out two matches from that: uh, Jaden Newman versus Alex Kane and Damian Tangra versus Adam Priest. I think both matches are real strong. I think those are the types of matches that are making really excited for season two because that's sort of like the, ta- the baseline talent that will be there kind of week in, week out. Adam Priest will continue to look like a million bucks, continue to look like someone that should be on national TV. I know that gets thrown around a lot, especially now since that bar is been moved. I don't know if it's, I want to say it's been lower, but there seems to be more availability for that kind of discussion to be had. He's just incredibly skilled and can really portray a character and make you kind of go, oh, yeah, he's a piece of shit. Get his ass. And stuff like that. And I think Tanger is a really strong technical wrestler. He's grown so quickly. It's unbelievable. I'm excited to see what those two can do this season. And I'm also just really excited because uh, with someone submitting a top 100, whether it be for the We Don't Know Wrestling 100, if I'm doing that, probably not. Or more likely, the Chris 100, these folks are going to start racking it up reps real quick. So that's going to be really exciting to see how that goes. Then Alex Kane versus Jay Newman to give a little shine. I think Jay Newman is a fine wrestler. I don't know if I am as high on him as other folks are, especially on this network. I'm a big fan of Alex Kane, but even then, I'm a little worried that he may have hit a ceiling. I think he can burst through that ceiling, but... It doesn't seem like his matches have a lot of those wrinkles. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of flow to them. I want to see them ramp up throughout. And this doesn't seem like we're getting that. And I'm I'm hopeful that, especially on a weekly basis, if he's going to be here regularly, 
I'm going to start seeing that a little bit more. He's been in MLW, so he understands how to wrestle TV matches, so to speak. So I'm hopeful that we can kind of stick this out. Again, two really strong matches. So all the criticism, take that with a grain of salt. And then Slade sticking around, it seems, after they see Mac match. That's fun. I think he's going to play really well with some of those brawlers in the Southeast. Slade versus Tank would be a, a very fun match for specifically Uncharted Territories, not in the kind of general sense. Then I've been watching some Paradigm Pros Season 5 of their UWFI series. It's a style that I'm still not entirely positive I love. I love shoot style, but it seems like all of their matches are built to be incredibly short, but not incredibly tight. So even though these matches could range from two to six minutes, it doesn't feel like the work there is really buttoned up enough to sometimes justify that. But with that, like we have a Dustin Leonard versus Victor Benjamin match. Victor Benjamin, steampunk hat wearing fella. But for here, it's Dustin Leonard, who I always, before I first watched him, thought he was going to be a huge dude because his promo pick always makes him look like this 350-pound jiu-jitsu expert, but really he's like a 150-pound jiu-jitsu expert, which is a different vibe entirely. But Victor Benjamin, Benjamin's kind of a built dude, so it's kind of a, a big versus little match where Dustin's using his grappling wizardry against Victor Benjamin just being kind of a, a big, burly, muscle-bound dude. And it's short, but it really works. It clicks. It's snappy. It's what it's what I wish more of this series and these types of matches were like because it doesn't feel like my time is wasted or that they really needed to hit that next gear for it to work. They could have probably taken this up a notch if they were able to find another gear or they had time to find another gear. But as is, it works. I really dug it. Then I just a couple of other call outs. Tanner Keeler versus Ryan Clancy. Tanner Keeler, someone that I really dig. He's just a big dude, real pudgy, amateur wrestling background, I believe, because he just looks so comfortable hitting them out. I want to see him in other opportunities in that promotion uh, for the UWF, UWFI stuff. So maybe lengthier matches. Then final one, Dominic Guarini versus Mad Dog Conley. Mad Dog Conley is the best wrestler in Paradigm at this style. He will throw his entire body into everything. UWFI, shoot style, it should be stiff. Shoot style should not feel as light as it does sometimes here. He He's going to throw himself into it. He's going to look to hurt someone and mean it. And that seems to be missing, by and large, from a lot of this wrestling. And he's also willing to just get dropped. Take those bumps. Make it look like he's willing to die for this sport. And I love that. i hopeful that, given these matches are so short, we see a little bit more of folks willing to take those big bumps, dish out those big, big bombs. Uh, and after the match, he does call out Alex Kane. I think that could be one of the best paradigm UWFI matches ever. So, looking forward to that one. This is the news. Next up, with news. I will say up front, I will probably not be touching too heavily on the Sasha Banks versus 
Naomi walk out. I think Tim and Quentin could do a much better job of discussing that. So I'm probably going to leave that up to them whenever they get to it. But I will just say, hey, if you're sticking up for WWE, stop it. You're in the wrong. So next up, um, the Cole Savoy. She has retired. She retired at a Hood Slam event in California. And Nicole's going to be one of those sort of of sad stories in pro wrestling. She seems like she should have been a big deal. She was coming around at the right time. But for whatever reason, she didn't get picked up. And I'm I'm sure there's a newsletter somewhere that I haven't read that kind of explains why she did not go to WWE when that Divas revolution was heating up. Or why she didn't immediately get picked up by AEW. Because it feels like she should have been. In both instances. But even her tweets after Lenny Leonard gave her, her a shout out and said, hey, I'm glad I got to know you essentially and got to see you work. Um, she essentially said, hey, like I made a list before we st- I started and I've checked off everything and then and then some. So I don't need to continue. And I think more wrestlers probably should have that view. That if they've really achieved all they've wanted to achieve, then hang them up. But it feels so sad for Nicole, not for Nicole, about Nicole, I guess, in this instance, because I'm happy for her that she's going to get out of wrestling. That should be congratulatory in almost every sense and every opportunity if someone decides to leave of their own volition, not of injury, not being ousted, not of she just gets she walks away. She gets to say, hey, I did everything I need to do. And I think that's wonderful. But but. Um, it does not feel great that she could have made wads and wads of money before hanging him up. Uh, she definitely deserved it. So, also want to talk about this Joe Black altercation at an indie wrestling event. I forgot what the show was that specifically happens on, but Joe Black, a new wrestler, he, you've probably seen the clip, it's been retweeted thousands of times. This is a small circle. Don't know how you would have missed it. But as an wrestler, he's a heel. He's on the outside of the ring. He flips a dude's hat, and then that guy headbutts him real hard. Uh, and Joe Black immediately gets up, which I think should be telling, because um, that man looked like he threw every ounce of potential energy behind that headbutt, and Joe Black just stood up and probably was about to do some real damage to that man, but gets held back by referees. Kruger, the his opponent in that match, I believe, and I just want to say that. Oh, also call out to um, at underscore Willow Raven, who found some information about this man, who did the headbutting. That his Twitter account had uh, cancel cancel culture, a rant about the Washington team needing to change their name, the Washington Commanders now. Planned Parenthood is bad, actually. And sticking up for Gina Carano. A real winner if there ever was one. And pretty makes it pretty clear that a huge piece of shit and that this was in some form probably race motivated. But there are some people that either say, hey, like Joe Black lost that one. Which is a weird take, first of all. Then... That Joe Black shouldn't have flipped his hat. Like you should have had you had coming. And I think that's also an insane 
take or a wild take rather. When you go to a professional wrestling event, you sign up for a certain level of interaction when you're in the front row and when you're in folks kind of grill there um, and when you're part of the show. Not We've seen worse things, much worse things when a heel does these things, whether it's spilling drinks, throwing food, or even like drinking, we seem to be a throw hats, a much more difficult thing uh, in the sense of like, hey, it's already something back when it's thrown. But flipping a hat? You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You can't retaliate off that and, and think it's okay. And anyone that's saying that, I think is just losing it and just not in touch with reality. Find it. Find reality. But that's what I gotta say on the Joe Black situation. Um... Then MJF and AEW, some news has been coming out about MJF potentially leaving, or in the sense that there's contract negotiations on, nothing's signed off yet, and that he's still kind of exploring those options. It's been hard to kind of cut through some of the noise because there's been some weird reports coming out, such as like he's not, he wants to increase in pay, but doesn't want to sign an extension, um, things of that nature. But at this point, there's also the, the topics around, hey, MJF is not one of those folks that wants to live a dream by going to WWE. He just wants to do this as a profession, which means to make as much money as possible with kind of as many amenities in this situation as you can ask for. And frankly, if he's going into the auction world or the uh, kind of folks competing for his services, he's going to be in a good position. Um he seems like an obvious fit for WWE. Has kind of, I don't want to say Mike's skills, but the Mike competency to do those bits that would do well on YouTube. Has shown he can do the bits that do well on YouTube. Um, it would not be an artistically fulfilling thing to watch, but MJF is not already not an artistically fulfilling person to watch. So it wouldn't matter much to me per se. But then, apparently, I'm going to read at Wrestling Purists, mention of Voices of Wrestling. Um, I didn't listen. I won't listen. I refuse to, in this case. That there's been a complaints around Tony Khan and the kind of backstage atmosphere of AEW. Folks not knowing what the heck's going on. And there being just a general sense of chaos. And that MJF is, is feeling that way. And so are other folks feeling that way as well. So... I don't know what else to say other than it's something to keep an eye on that this promotion that is still more or less just starting has some structure, but now it's been growing and it's hit kind of a wall. Not like their growth has stopped, but more like it's not going at the incredible rate it was. And that there are going to be things that are going to be transitioning here one way or another in the near future, whether that be talent, how Rampage and Dynamator operates, how Dark Stuff operates, works, functions, where RH comes to play. There's going to be some transitional stuff that happens here, and it's going to be interesting to see what some of this quote-unquote homegrown talent or talent that's really bumped up their stock over this period of time end up doing. 
The last thing here is Ric Flair. He's gonna be having one last match, it looks like. And I'm I'm conflicted. It was easy for me to say Circle Six last week and say, hey, I'm fuck them. I'm never gonna watch them again. And like I feel like I should admit that I'm like a I'm a hypocrite. Like I I don't have strong enough convictions. I should. But Circle Six was easy for me to say that because I'm never going to give a shit about that promotion, regardless. So why not say that? Um, Ric Flair coming back. He just had a Dark Side of the Rings episode come out where it's essentially a half an hour episode about him sexually assaulting a woman. Obviously, there's other folks involved as well, but like that's the crux of it. That's the big thing that came out of it and big, big takeaway. And that's not surprising. That's We've heard stories in the past as well, so it's really not all that enlightening, I guess, either. But at the same time, it still feels weird. Um, Because I think Fanbyte, Clet, I believe, was the one who wrote it, came out with an article to censor saying, it sucks (laughs) that Flair is coming back from a match and essentially trying to erase the legacy essentially not being tainted by this Dark Side of the Ring episode. Tried to kind of reclaim his own history in some form or fashion. And yeah, I don't have more to add there. Like I know I'm going to be wrestling with this and I think other folks are going to be as well and start kind of moving that around the old noggin. Like where's everyone's line? Where is your line? Also, probably easy for me to dismiss Flair as watching him wrestle. Um, as a professional wrestler, I think, he's, I think he's probably one of the greatest of all time. But at the same time, it's just like, do I want to see this match that now, specifically this match that acts as a washing of a level of history that is trying to kind of take something away? Is it worth watching his roast that's apparently happening? None of these things. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just trying to wrestle with that going forward. So there's that. Not wrestling, wrestling of the week. All right. Non-wrestling, wrestling of the week. You got to listen to Pretend to Fight number one from Dave Musgrave. Dave Musgrave coming back, back in the game. Obviously, I'm biased. He agreed to come on the We Don't Know Wrestling Podcast Network. WDKWPN on Twitter to put his new podcast on. To me, Dave Musgrave is wrestling podcast Hall of Fame material. And I felt frankly honored that he would come on the network. And his first episode with Loss from Pro Wrestling Only is incredible and makes me so happy it's so smart it's so it's the con it's the type of wrestling podcast that i really want to listen to and it's evergreen it's about the 90s and how they've influenced now and just kind of in general future decades the followed and it's it makes me warm to just think about because like i'm I would be happy if this podcast came out anywhere. If it came out on Voices of Wrestling, came out on the 
PTBN, Podcast Nation, whatever the fuck. But it's on We Don't Know Wrestling. And that means the world to me. Cannot describe it. Absolutely go give it a listen. It is great. It's a great first episode. And I wish I actually probably had another thing to mention because I don't really want to mention just We Don't Know Wrestling and stuff. But it rocks and you should just you should go listen to it now. Yeah, you can stop this episode. Go listen to that. Come back maybe later and go from there. Tweet of the week. All right. I feel like I'm cheating with Tweet of the Week because on week two here of doing this, already not doing a real one tweet here. It's mostly at Tanner. 1495 or 1495 or 1495 made a tweet at the expense of Francisco Akira GIF, essentially, where he does a real a spinny move. It's kind of like an overdrive bullshit thing. But the tweet reads, Ospreyism has broken the brains of legitimately good junior heavyweights, LOL. Nothing real inflammatory. It's correct. It's accurate. But it's the tweets that follow that really bring a tear to your eye. At Josh B. Messenger. Josh Bowell on Twitter. People enjoying things equal sign bad, period. Incredible. Love it. Just factually incorrect of addressing the situation. Pete Davies on Twitter at crazypete315 potentially from Syracuse, New York based on that area code. Not doxing him. Don't have an address. Don't look him up. Man, it like people hate creativity and trying to come up with new things. Or adding to things. Let the wrestlers be creative. Solid. Solid. Let them be creative. I agree. Let them be audacious in that way. Future Freestyle World Champ on Twitter. At Merculon666. In quotes. Back in my day, a simple neckbreaker was a finisher. What happened to my sport? End quote. It evolved. Plus, people have been doing flippy floppy shit since the Gold Dust Trio were running wrestling. Calling it up the Gold Dust Trio is just such a, a wild move, a bold move, something I would not see coming in a million years. And you just it's the kind of move you make when you want to look intelligently superior and just like, oh yeah, I actually know wrestling, you dumb shit. And that's what makes it so solid. All right. We're in it. It is the topic of the week. I'm going to have a talk about tournaments. And part of that's been kind of spurred by I had a few things I was dabbling in my old noggin here before we got into things. And I was looking on Twitter as I do to kind of get some inspo going on here. And I saw the NBA was thinking about having an in-season tournament, I, which I say is a bad idea and I don't think they can come up with a concept that feels at all meaningful. But it made me think, oh, tournaments and wrestling. Something I love, something I think about probably too much already. And 
we are not in a renaissance for tournaments, but it does feel after quite a few years of things being kind of dead, I would say roughly maybe five years, maybe since 2017, definitely since 2018, tournaments have felt pretty dire. And like you have things like the G, obviously New Japan and the G, G1 are always going to be a huge influence on the thought of oh, our our turns good right now but even things like the scenic city invitational a tournament that i think has kind of been the indie wrestling i don't want to say crown crown jewel or anything like that but the indie wrestling notable event in the calendar it is a unique tournament that gets a lot of shine every year in IWTV. It's probably one of their signature events they'll they'll showcase throughout the year. But even then, I feel like you can't replace Hero. And it feels like that's what I've been looking for, for them to replace Hero since that 2016 Scenic City Invitational where he went up against Kyle Matthews, where he wrestled in the finals. Like, feels like we've missed him. And I, that's, that is a bummer. But I still feel like that tournament has been good. It's been strong. And I think this year they do have a really a really good tournament lined up. They've got Tanger, who we talked about earlier. We got Priest, who we talked about earlier. They got both members of Violence is Forever. The one that really sticks out to me is going to be Hoodfoot. Um, obviously, Deathmatch has been as calling as of late, but also seems to be that... He's getting reintroduced back into kind of the more straight wrestling sort of environment. Yeah, Trisha Dora and Billy Starks. I think it's going to be a good tournament. Daniel Makabe, obviously, had to give from the sh- from the show from the network. Daniel Makabe, a call out, and there's definitely some uh, good stuff you can do with this array of talent, especially with Makabe's history. The tournament, Tangra, and everyone coming in. It just feels like it feels like this tournament needs kind of that that one signature. I think a Biff Busick or a Timothy Thatcher would be the right the right move. Someone that could really elevate this tournament. Oh, we've got all this collection of good talent, and now we've packed on a real star, a genuine, honest to goodness indie wrestling star who can work a match with anyone. Turn it up a notch. With my luck, they'll instead book Vinny Massaro, and I'll want to die on the inside. So if you're listening to this, please, for the love of all that is holy, do not book Vinny Massaro for this SCI. If you want to book him for an action wrestling event or a sup wrestling event, I won't stop you. I won't scream. I won't berate you in public. But... Please don't book him for SCI. Keep the tournament sacred to some extent. And you also have the Dingo Invitational Tournament coming from St. Louis Anarchy. I don't feel as strongly about this tournament that that I do for the SCI, um, but it also has booked Jeremy Wyatt and Biff Music in an opening round matchup, so... I'm immediately for it. I'm immediately thinking, okay, they've done the right move. It's also got 
ACH, Gary J, Dave Vega, Mad Dog, Conley, who we talked about earlier. So it's got good talent. I think there's some potential there, and I think that opening round matchup is about as good a opening round matchup as any tournament could ask for. And I'm hoping that the SDI has that kind of matchup that makes me go, oh, there we go. I don't think with the talent they have right now, they can do that. I truly don't. Um, Robert Martyr versus Cole Radrick just won't get my gears going, unfortunately. But I think a beyond greatest rivals round robin tournament, a remake of that could be really cool in a 2022 with Busick and Thatcher on the scene again. You could redo that tournament essentially with those two in a fresher half. Um, Obviously, you probably would want to do that, and that Bukowski and not, him not being there would make that awfully difficult. But, goodness gracious, if you do with Alec Price, again, I would die inside. So don't do that. It feels like that half would produce something. Or just book Busick versus Thatcher again and beyond. Give the people what they want, truly. If any way we could do a round robin tournament through IWTV that would be tremendous I would be super thrilled with that I think that's something that could be missing but again hard to do St. Louis Anarchy tried to do that during the pandemic it backfired tremendously badly but I think those are the kinds of things where those round robin tournaments really really work is when you have this array of talent you can see them all interact and really see those points go up. And I think that would just be a unique thing if someone could pull that off. I think if IWTV as a company try to pull it off, I think that could really work. It'd be a little tricky. But I always like the idea um, that was floated about the SCI one year where it would be like tournament winners from various other promotions wrestling in the SCI or that you would get your birth by being a representative from another company, more or less. And I think something like that would just be really interesting to see, like, actual representation of these promotions and these this scale of the United States indie wrestling scene, and as well as Mexico, frankly, because um, IWTV has a lot of Mexican promotions there that are doing quite well, honestly, with them. Yeah, float into the mix. One of the kind of key things, though, that uh, I will say is that right now in the scene, the tournament that feels like it's left a, a, a sizable hole that hasn't been unable to be replicated is King of Trios. And I talked about Chikara last week with Dasher Hatfield retiring. That. It's a promotion that it's still I still miss, in a sense. And I still maybe don't miss the promotion, but miss that feeling that promotion gave me. And King of Trios was really emblematic of that in a lot of ways, where it's a sense of community, of being a part of something that felt both fun, light, and with stakes. And that every tournament, well, I attended two tournaments, and a lot of those tournaments always felt like they brought wrestling from all over the world into this one center um, with people from all over the world into one location 
with events throughout the weekend, with different types of kind of wrestling being wrestling being represented. And it didn't feel like just like a super indie. It felt like, okay, we've got some weird stuff going on here where it had those sort of WWF legends type stuff, ECW sort of legends type stuff. Um, Japanese talent being represented in a very specific way where they got not just, they got treated as star attractions to the tournament. Now you have folks like Black Label Pro, a shit stain of promotion, essentially, sort of rep, sort of like commandeer some of that WWF Legends sort of representation, but just doing it in the worst way possible, doing something that feels bad, makes me feel the ick. And there was just something special about that tournament. And I think at one point I thought the SEI would kind of replace that in my heart. Be like, oh, this is where we all come. This is where people collect from around the country, maybe not around the globe, but at least around. Well, I guess we have had people from around the world, but at least around the country coming of coming into this one event that felt like a big deal with sort of events throughout the weekend. Those events usually being the other wrestling shows, but I just don't think it has that global scale. King of Trios had and made it feel like, oh, you're part of the wrestling world when you go to this event. And I missed that with tournaments. And I think that's only thing, that's something you can only do with tournaments to kind of see that all play out in front of you. Just having kind of an indie wrestling summit, you've we've seen those happen. They don't have the same weight because their scales aren't there. And it doesn't feel like that talent is really being appreciated in the same way. Not by the fans, not even by the promotion, but just they don't come across as, they come across as only attractions, not competitors. I think tournaments help navigate around some of that where it doesn't feel like, okay, it's just a Junkasai versus Masada match where it could be a great match, but it doesn't, it lacks that sort of in my mind is like, oh, it's great to say Jun Kasai, but it kind of lacks that feeling of the up and down the card sort of mentality where you're not getting this featured event you're getting, or featured even weekend, you're getting a singular entity that you can appreciate. Nothing wrong with that, just not the same. I'm hopeful that something somewhere We'll figure out how to make a tournament that really feels like it represents the world of wrestling and hopefully the history of wrestling. It isn't attached to a scumbag, a real piece of shit. I hope for that. This has been We Don't Know Wrestling, episode 110. Thank you for listening. Go to at D, go to at WD. KWPN on Twitter. Give us a follow. Subscribe to us on iTunes, at Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us a rating. We also have set up a Ko-Fi or Ko-Fi. Um, it's supposed to sound like coffee, I guess. So if you would like to leave a donation so we can kind of keep doing this as we're adding 
Dave Musgrave show. We're doing more shows, being a little bit more consistent from my, from me. And then I think we're going to have some other stuff that may be filtering in over the coming months, which I'm really excited to see come to fruition. We'll go a long way to kind of helping things sustain and to help try new things as well. So once again, thank you so much for listening. This has been We Don't Know Wrestling.